0: Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Megan Gorman. Megan, are you ready to do this?
1: I am so ready.
0: Excellent. Let's do this. <laughs> Megan is the founding partner of Checkers Financial Management a fee-only firm that specializes in high net worth families in San Francisco. She is a regular contributor to Forbes and is regularly quoted in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. I'm excited to have you on. Megan, tell us a little bit more about your work, something about your personal life, and why you do what you do.
1: Yeah. Well, th- first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, so, you know, about me and and the firm that, that I founded, you know, I'm an attorney by training. And so our firm works with people in a very holistic manner. And that's because over the 17, 18 years I've been doing this, what we have found is that people you can't really silo the different areas of finance they all sort of tie together so what you're doing investment wise you know really ties into how your estate plan works and your tax situation and so really what we focus on is spending time with clients to really help them navigate these complex issues And so I, um, our firm has been around for just under four years. Um, in terms of personal information, um, I, you know, I am an attorney and I was, I grew up in the state of New Jersey and I now live in the state of California, which is sort of interesting in the sense that I think they are very two different type of personality types coming from those two different States. So it sort of makes it a little bit of fun in, in working with clients. Um, so I hope that that answers your question. Oh, for
0: sure. Yeah. I think that uh certainly east coast, west coast is going to be different and I also I also really think Megan that depending on what part of California you are in is probably going to be a different experience as well. So
1: Totally. Yes. I used to live in southern, now I live in northern, but I'll probably end up back in southern. I I can't give up the everyday being sunny and 70 degrees.
0: It is awfully tough to beat that.
1: <laughs> it is. So
0: Got it. Well, I I certainly appreciate uh Whenever somebody's taking the time and the effort to to get a high level of education, and I'm sure that your legal background has served you very well in the space that you're working in now. And I also appreciate the fact that so, so many different people working in the financial industry or just, I guess, when you're working with people and their estate and their money, it is very siloed. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is immense value in being able to take a step back and looking at the big picture, but that's not easy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I often will tell people that, you know, even though I work with numbers, really my job is much more psychological because anyone could go and read a book on what to do financially. I mean, there's a ton of great books out there, uh, blogs, websites, podcasts, but a lot of times it's, it's connecting with someone on an emotional level and trying to understand what motivates them, right? What, what, all of us have a, a story from our childhood related to money and that story makes an imprint on us and, and, trying to understand, you know, does money come from a place of empowerment? Does it come from a place of fear and, and, and really understanding how people have their relationship with money and then using that to push them in the right direction. Um, and, and, and it's just fascinating to me because I I'm very fortunate. I work with very wealthy people and, you know, the big secret about working with the wealthy is they have the same issues right. as, as most other Americans. It's just sometimes they have another zero on the end, but it, it's the same stuff. We're all frightened of running out of money, of not being able to retire, of of and, and you know we spend too much money. That's that's probably the thing I spend the most amount of time on. Is oh we're spending way too much money, um, and 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 it's it's common issues across the board.
0: Got it. No, I I appreciate that very much. Do you find that that when you engage people in conversations about their their history growing up with money that they're accustomed to having those conversations or is it more of a departure and a little bit different than they're used to?
1: You know, I think, first of all, money money is in conversation all the time, right? I mean, even if you you read a newspaper, a magazine, anything online, there's always a note on finance. So I think when, you know, what people are not accustomed to is having direct questions of, tell me about, you know, how you first started interacting with money. Um, But once they start to tell you about their experiences – You know, it's enlightening for them because they've often never, you know, they might have thought about the story, uh, but they've never actually verbalized it and, and sort of put it out there. And you know, it 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 allows them, on particularly with the more positive stories to connect with it, Um, you know, and on the more negative stories, because there are people out there who, you know, the first time they came in contact with money and finance, it was it was negative um, to make peace with those stories that, you know, that is in the past and that, you know, we're always evolving our relationships. and, And this is an opportunity to continue to evolve.
0: Yeah, I think that that's awesome. And it's such a powerful thing. It's like goal setting, like we all sort of have general ideas of what we want, but until we actually take the time to articulate, verbalize it or to write them down ideally uh, then I think that that's when you really make those connections and potentially those 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 breakthroughs. So
1: right I, I agree and I think you know what you know just sort of thinking about that right and, and where you know I'm, I, I'm in my early 40s and when I look at all the different studies out there on how people are connecting with money, what I find interesting is everything sort of either veers towards the boomers or towards the millennials, Hmm. right? I mean, everything you read out there Uh and there's a group out there that I think really could connect better with their money. If, they actually, you know, I think we're, we're focused on more and that, that, that's my generation, which is Gen X. And, and George, I think you might also be a member of Gen X.
0: I a hundred percent am proud card carrying member, Megan.
1: (laughs) Me too. Me too. I would, I wouldn't want to be any other generation, but you know, if you think about people's money stories and then how they interact with money, you know, millennials, and I work with a group of millennials, you know, they are they, they focus on money very differently. They're very app-based. They sort of get the financial planning part of it. And, and boomers, you know, they're look, they're, the pressure's on them right now about retirement. So they're talking about money so much. But, you know, we grew up in, in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, and we're sort of that weird sandwich generation. And, you know, for a lot of us, I think we experience money very different than the two generations that surround us. And, and what I'm not sure Is is Gen X having a lot of the key conversations to help them on the path of financial success?
0: Interesting. Hmm. I I I think that that's that's very interesting because everything you talked about is absolutely correct. Coming out of uh, uh, the baby boomers, obviously their parents lived through – Great Depression and World War II. And so they were living through that. And now millennials are are, are, are not doing that. And they interact right. with uh, technology so much greater than any generation does. So I think that's interesting. I've never considered it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at a lot of the data out there, you know, uh, the Pew Research Center found that of all the generations, you know, Gen X got hit the hardest in 08 in terms of loss on the value of their homes and loss on the value of their net worths because they were in accrual mode. And so they had stretched to buy houses and then to have they had the bottom fall out. Interestingly, they are a group that has rebounded. But I think in rebounding, Gen X really isn't fully maximizing itself. And I think it's because we tend to be very independent, Um, and we're cynical, right? Like we're, we're such skeptics compared to the other generations. And I think, you know, for Gen X, what we really need to focus on as we sort of enter, and I hate this term, but we sort of enter our middle age. Um, (laughs) I know it's dreadful, right? It's like, Oh my God, I still feel like I'm 16. But I think what we really have to focus on is defining ourselves financially different from the other two generations. And I think if as a Gen Xer, you know, the two things that I think can really make Gen X successful in retirement and be tax efficient, which is very important, is using the right tools. And I think the two tools that are out there are, one, Roth 401ks and and IRAs, and two, health savings accounts. Um, Both of these tools, if you fund them today, fund them early Uh, maximize what you can do there can really benefit Gen X in 20, 30, 40 years down the line. And I think we have to think of ourselves independently in the sense that we might not do all the things that boomers do or millennials do, but we've got some tools there that can help us retain our independence.
0: Got it. I think that that's an awesome way to look at it. And, And I I think that probably people have a better understanding of of the Roth IRA, and the Roth 401k option, probably less so with HSA, but there are huge opportunities there.
1: Oh, huge. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of HSAs, primarily because they are tools that were not made for the boomers, which seems sort of funny to think about, but boomers are too late for health savings accounts because what happens is a health savings account requires you today to look at your healthcare situation. And if you're relatively healthy, you have the option to take on a high deductible health care plan. And this is important because we're coming upon open enrollment. So if you choose a high deductible plan, you can set up an account called a health savings account. Sometimes they're, often, they're also offered through your employer. And you can put money in pre-tax. You get a tax deduction for it. It grows tax-deferred, and when you take it out for medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. But here's the interesting quirk. At age 65, it converts to an IRA. So at 65, you can still take the money out tax-free for medical expenses, or it's like an IRA, and you pay Fed tax and state tax, and the money can come out and you live off of it. And so for Gen X, you know, this is a really great vehicle, provided they do two things with it, which is one, try to do the max funding, which is $6,900 for 2018, and two, actually invest the monies. I think less than 3% of all HSA holders are investing the funds, which is a huge mistake. But if wow. you think about it, George, you know what happens is they put this money away and at age 65, if they need it just for medical expenses, it's there and it's tax-free. And if they need it for retirement, it's also there. And so it really starts to help Gen X because most of them, I think the median savings for Gen X has found to be be about $72,000. And that's pretty scary.
0: Right. Now, when you say that only 3% of uh, people with uh, HSAs actually have the money invested, Mm -hmm. is that just because they haven't allocated the money? How does yes. that, how, okay. mm-hmm.
1: It's exactly, you know, the, these plans have evolved over time. Um, and so cash is the default in these plans. And often it's because you're funding it through your employer, or you're setting up an account somewhere and funding it. But no one's walking you through the fact that you could invest it. And that's because HSAs, just so you know, can be used, you know, at any time to fund any medical costs. So people keep it in cash, because they think, they can, you know, they can use it to pay their current healthcare costs. But this is where a little sacrifice is important. Sacrificing yourself today um, for benefit in the future is 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 something that we should focus on as a generation. I don't know if we're as good at that as others are.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think well, that's probably something that uh, that that most Americans can probably do a better job of. When you're talking about doing more holistic. Planning for people, mm-hmm. talking about helping make sure that all the different silos, your your investment planning, your estate plan, um, any family planning you're doing are all congruent. Is one of the big challenges of that actually getting people to take action and get it done, not unlike taking the next step of allocating your HSA?
1: Yeah, I mean, execution is the hardest part of the entire financial process, right? Because you can read great ideas, you can hear someone advise you, but if you're actually not moving forward on it, it's a huge challenge. So, you know, what I often tell clients this is, you know, you can work with different people handling different aspects of your financial life, but one, you've got to pick one person who who sort of sits in the middle in that quarterback role whose advice is the one that you listen to, right? Because otherwise the noise gets in the way. But, but the other part of this is the person you pick to advise you has to help you with execution. And I think that, you know, one of the dangers when you apply that to Gen X is we're very cynical, you know, we're, we're sandwiched between these two very loud generations around us and you know, we, we want to do this on our own. We want to figure it out ourselves. I mean, we were the latchkey kids, right? We were always the ones, you know, I got to tell you, you know, as you watch people today, we didn't have coaches for everything. We didn't have people help us with our college applications. We always sort of forged it ourselves. And I think for Gen X, we really have got to figure out, okay, how can you be independent and yet get help to help you on the execution front?
0: And so how have you How have you been effective at at helping people realize that? Is it, is it simply a matter of being transparent about things? Here's how I work with my clients. Here's how I'm compensated. Here's the work you can expect of me.
1: Exactly. You know, people work with me, um, work with me on a flat fee basis. And there's a reason for that, which is when you, first of all, anyone who's going to engage with, with my firm, because we're dealing with, sort of the high net worth space where there's a lot of moving pieces, it's an intense engagement, right? And what I always want clients to think about is when a financial matter comes up to call I or email rather than think, Oh, if we reach out to her, she's going to charge us by the moment. Right. Or, you know, if I call her, is she just going to try to sell me another product? Cause they want more, you know, more assets, mm-hmm. you know? So, so what you really want to do is create An experience where they're, they're not inhibited. And I think that, you know, if, if I'm a Gen Xer out there listening today, I think my priority would be to find someone who's fee based, who can provide objective advice in terms of what are all the different pieces that I should be doing. Um, because again, it's investing to some degree. I mean, the millennials figured out investing. I can't believe the boomers didn't figure it out before the millennials. The millennials got it. <laughs> Keep it cost-effective. You can have an app. It's you know very straightforward. Um, full diversification. But but it's that person who's going to say, hey you know, I know you just went through a divorce. Have we really gone through your beneficiary designations? Or, you know, you just got a salary increase. Should we start to increase what we're putting in 529s for the kids? You know, those sort of little nudges or taps on the shoulder, that little piece makes a huge difference in if you feel financially planned and and financially secure.
0: And there's, there's immense value to that. There's no question about it. I think so much of the planning that, that that we're sort of forced to do, like buying different types of insurances or filing our income taxes, we're compelled to do that. We're not necessarily compelled to do proactive tax planning or financial planning like what you're talking about. So that's really the value of of an advisor, I think, at least a really good one.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, look, I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I have a, a personal trainer to help me with working out. To me, it's it's the same thing. I can work out on my own, but, you know, I might after, you know, eight reps say, oh, this is a little much, right? And stop. It's pushing someone to do, you know, a trainer will push me to do up to 12 reps, right? And it's the same thing with money. You know, you know to save in your 401k or you know you got this HSA out there, but if someone can convince you, hey, let's just increase that by two to three percent, that compounded over 10, 20, 30 years. Is meaningful and that's what you want someone to do is to create something meaningful for you that you couldn't do on your own
0: accountability is a beautiful thing but sometimes <laughs> unwanted
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough world out there but it's something we all have to do
0: yes well Megan Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip what do you have for them
1: yeah you know I'm very big believer and everybody understanding their early money story. So sit back, close your eyes, think about the first time you came into, into contact with money, whether it was you know, a birthday gift you got, whether it was watching your parents struggle with money, whether it was working hard to achieve something, and really think about how that initial interaction impacted you today, and whether it's one that you want to keep growing positive money interactions from. Or one that you want to go back and change into a more positive money interaction.
0: Oh, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a Come on. Come on. Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you?
1: Sure. You can uh, follow my website, which is Checkers Financial. And that's checkers with a Q because it's named after a British uh, mansion uh, that was involved with wealth transfer. Or you can follow me on Twitter at, at Wealth Intersect. And I look forward to hearing from people.
0: Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Megan your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to Checkers Financial, follow her on Twitter, We'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Megan.
1: Thanks, George. I really appreciate it.